Chapter 10 of Hereditary Genius by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 10 Literary Men. Those who are familiar with the appearance of great libraries and have endeavoured to calculate the number of famed authors those works they include cannot fail to be astonished at their multitude. The years go by, and every nation produces literary works of sterling value, and stores of books have accumulated for centuries. Among the authors, who are the most eminent? This is a question I feel incompetent to answer. It would not be difficult to obtain lists of the most notable literary characters of particular periods, but I have found none that afford a compact and trustworthy selection of the great writers of all times. Mere popular fame in after-ages is an exceedingly uncertain test of merit, because authors become obsolete. Their contributions to thought and language are copied and recopied by others, and at length they have become so incorporated into the current literature and expressions of the day that nobody cares to trace them back to their original sources any more than they interest themselves in tracing the gold converted into sovereigns to the nuggets from which it was derived or to the gold diggers who discovered the nuggets again a man of fair ability who employs himself in literary turns out a great deal of good work there is always a chance that some of it may attain a reputation very far superior to its real merits because the author may have something to narrate which the world wants to hear or he may have had particular experiences which qualify him to write works of fiction, or otherwise to throw out views singularly opposite to the wants of the time, but of no importance in after years. Here also fame misleads. Under these circumstances, I thought it best not to occupy myself over much with older times, otherwise I should have been obliged to quote largely in justification of my lists of literary worthies, but rather to select authors of modern date, or those whose reputation has been freshly preserved in England. I have therefore simply gone through dictionaries, extracted the names of literary men whom I found the most prominent, and have described those who had decidedly eminent relations in my appendix. I have therefore left out several whom others might with reason judge worthy to have appeared. My list is a very incongruous collection, for it includes novelists, historians, scholars, and philosophers. There are only two peculiarities common to all these men. The one is a desire of expressing themselves, and the other a love of ideas, rather than of material possessions. Mr. Disraeli, who is himself a good instance of hereditary literary power, in a speech at the anniversary of the Royal Literary Fund, May 6, 1868, described the nature of authors. His phrase epitomizes what has been graphically delineated in his own novels, and I may add, in those of Sir Edward Bulwer Lytton, now Lord Lytton, who with his brother Sir Henry Bulwer and his son Owen Meredith, is a still more remarkable example of hereditary literary gifts than Mr. Disraeli. He said, The author, as we must ever remember, a peculiar organization, he is a being with a predisposition which with him is irresistible, a bent which he cannot in any way avoid whether it drags him to the abstruse researches of erudition, or induces him to mount into the fervid and turbulent atmosphere of imagination. The majority of the men described in the appendix to this chapter justified the description by Mr. Disraeli. 
Again, that the powers of many of them were of the highest order, no one can doubt. Several were prodigies in boyhood, as Grotius, Lessing, and Nebuhr. Many others were distinguished in youth. Charlotte Bront published Jane Eyre at 22. Chetter Bryad was of note at an equally early age. Fenelon made an impression with only 15. Sir Philip Sidney was of high mark before he was 21, and had acquired his great fame, and won the heart of the nation in a few more years, for he was killed in battle when only 32. I may add that there are occasional cases of great literary men having been the reverse of gifted in youth. Boylau is the only instance in my appendix. He was at Dunstan School, and dull till he was thirty. But among other literary men of whom I have notes, Goldsmith was accounted a dull child, and he was anything but distinguished at Dublin University. He began to write well at thirty-two. Rousseau was taught at Dunstan School when he ran away at sixteen. It is a striking confirmation of what I endeavoured to prove in an early chapter, that the highest order of reputation is independent of external aids, to note how regularly many of the men and women have been educated whose names appear in my appendix, such as Boileau, the Bront family, Chateaubriand, Fielding, and two Grammonts, Irving, Karstein, Nibur, Person, in one sense, Roscoe, Le Sage, J.C. Scalinger, Siving, and Swift. I now give my usual table, but I do not specify with confidence the numbers of eminent literary men contained in the thirty-three families it includes. They have many literary relations of considerable merit, but I feel myself unable, for the reasons stated at the beginning of this chapter, to sort out those that are eminent from among them. The families of Taylor, both those in Norwich and those of Ongar, have been inserted as being of great hereditary interest, but only a few of their members, see Austin, are not summed up in the following table. Table 1 is displayed on the page. Summary of relationships of 52 literary persons, grouped into 33 families. The table is broken up into several sections, with one relation or two in the family, two or three relations, or three or four in the family, and four or more relations, or five or more in the family. Table 2 is also displayed on the page, with several columns in three main sections. The degrees of kinship, with the name of the degree and the corresponding letters. It would be both a tedious and unnecessary task if I applied the same test to this table with the same minuteness that they were applied to those inserted in previous chapters. Its contents are closely similar in their general character, and therefore all that can be derived from an analysis of others may, with equal justice, be derived from this. The proportion of eminent grandsons is small, but the total number is insufficient to enable us to draw conclusions from that fact, especially as the number of eminent sons is not small in the same ratio. There are other minor peculiarities which will appear more distinctly when all the corresponding tables are collated and discussed towards the end of the book. In the meantime, we may rest satisfied that an analysis of kinsfolk shows literary genius to be fully as hereditary as any other kind of ability we have hitherto discussed. End of chapter 10